0: to each of you. It's good to be here with you this morning. I've been blessed already with the prayers and the songs that we have sung together, some of which fit very well with my sermon this morning. And you might have noticed on the board um, the verse that I chose, or you may have noticed on the bulletin uh, the title of my message. Which was about the only part of the message that I had when Wendy and uh, Eldon asked me for a title. So the sermon came after the title, though I've been thinking about this for some time. Um, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I you. And you're probably wondering, but there's a little silver and gold in here that's for an obvious lesson. And if I see you sleeping, I'll shake it a few times. Um, interestingly enough, um, as uh, the more I studied, the more this this sermon grew into um, a little bit more than just Acts chapter three. But chapter three is the core of what I want to talk about. Uh, but there's some many peripheral things around this story of the the beggar, the crippled beggar at the temple that was healed. Um, so this, this study of early acts, the early church there has blessed me, and I, I think probably what got me into this, uh, heading this direction, was that I've had, I've been challenged a number of times lately about, in some ways that I hadn't for a long time, about the credibility of the New Testament even or the deity of Jesus, or the transition from the old to the new covenant, and whether or not we are just following teachings that we've been taught all our lives. So some of those things, I wouldn't say I was shaken, but I had to rethink a few of these foundational truths of what we believe and teach. <clears throat> but, as I looked at the early four or five chapters of Acts, I have been very solidly reassured that God was working and in inspiring this book, and there is, there is much content here to reassure us and to make us feel very solidly reassured that we've been taught truth. So this morning we want to look at chapter 3 eventually, after a bit, uh, verses 1-11, through the story of the cripple and his healing, but I also want to look at some of those foundational truths that are very important and very, um, well, foundational is just the best word I've come up with things that we need to believe that are solid and true. There may be kind of overarching or very um, doctrinal or theological and maybe out there a little bit. We need to hold those things. But my goal is to realize that in this humble and helpless man that we see in chapter 3, who through the power of Jesus Christ found healing and wholeness, He found usefulness and worth and praise in his everyday life, and that's where the power of the gospel meets us. We need to hold as true the deep things that we've been taught that we know are true, but that we want to find them working out with the gospel's power through our everyday lives. Some of the things that um, I mentioned, I believe, some basic truths that I've, I've been looking at was the like the transition from the old to the new testament. What about the role of the church versus God relating to the Israeli, the, the Hebrew people in the Old Testament? Who real, Jesus really was, and the Trinity. Uh, some of those things. So we'd like to look at the book of Acts. So if you want to open your Bibles on up to chapter 1 of Acts, uh, I'll have, I have some verses I'll read here along. But think about it. Christ's first coming was a time of earth-shaking change. Uh, think about the hopelessness of the Jewish nation. You know, it's, it had declined from its glory days under Solomon and the early kings there, uh, the decline through the years, the dispersion, and then finally those 400 years of silence where there was no word from the Lord, uh, no active, fresh word from the Lord. But there were people waiting, people that were faithful and trusting, like the Simeons and Annas who, when Simeon saw Jesus, baby Jesus in that temple, He said, Lord, now let us tell thy servant depart in peace according to thy word, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. Then after the baby years, we have Jesus, the humble teacher and healer, walking the earth, doing good, and announcing that the kingdom of God was available. Then we have Jesus, the sacrificial lamb, atoning for the sins of the world, giving his life voluntarily. Then we see him as the the risen Savior, victor over death, and having finished the work that he set out to do, the sacrifice that he was making. And there's no question, Jesus is the center of the Gospels. He's the theme that continues through all the Gospels and now on into the book of Acts as he, through his spirit's work, establishes the church. Uh, We're easily confused by change, I am, but it's reassuring to see God's steady hand in this transition from the old covenant to the new. So, who wrote the book of Acts? Anyone? Luke did, that's right. How do we know that? Well, there's a number of reasons, and there's a lot of credible um, reasons, I should say, for, for, realize, for knowing that Luke was the author of Acts. One, he, of course, wrote the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, and he addresses Acts to the same person or dedicates the book to the same person, Theophilus, that he did the Gospel. Um, why did he write a new report? He said, uh, this new report I'm writing to you, uh, Theophilus, why did he write a new report? Did, did he run out of scroll? Did he, uh, had the times changed? Did he want to uh, have two editions? We're not quite sure, but there's no question Luke just, he just kind of picks up where he left off in, in the book of Luke with the book of Acts. So I'd like to read uh, Acts 1 through 14 and make a few comments. Uh, as we read this passage, I'd like for us to think about some of those foundational truths I mentioned. One very amazing thing here, or very interesting thing here, is seeing the interplay or the, the interworking of the Trinity. And this, I think, is, is one of those foundational truths, to realize the truth that God is three, he is They're three in one, and I can't explain all that, and this sermon isn't about the Trinity necessarily, but the credibility of the fact of the Trinity and and the three persons of the Trinity, each in their role. So Luke wrote this, This former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach, until the day in which he was taken up. After that, he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. Notice the Holy Ghost gave those commandments to the apostles. To whom also he showed himself aloud after his passing by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father. Which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. Not many days hence. We've seen three persons there at work. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, will thou this time restore the kingdom of Israel? This was after the resurrection, but before the ascension. Jesus was meeting one of those meetings where he was giving infallible proofs to them. And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, You men of Galilee, while stand ye gazing up into heaven, this same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven shall shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go. And they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem a Sabbath day's journey. And when they came in, they went into an upper room where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon Zelotes, and Judas, the brother of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. That just continues on from the last chapter of Luke, uh, the ascension of Jesus, and brings us to this point where uh, Jesus leaves them here, and in Luke, it tells us that they returned to Jerusalem after they saw him go up full of joy. And I like that. They did not feel abandoned. Um, that's a that's a good rule of, of partings, isn't it? Uh, you know, sometimes when we leave or someone leaves us, we just feel left. But when there's time enough taken for a farewell, a parting, or... Um, I was remembering recently my grandfather uh, watching us out the lane, just draft. he was waving, an old white-bearded Amishman with a black hat waving us out the lane, and we knew that he wished we'd hurry and come back. When Jesus left his disciples, he promised them a comforter, he said He wouldn't leave them comfortless. He would come back to him in the pres- to them in the presence of His Spirit. They knew they weren't being abandoned. There was help on the way. Jesus wasn't forgetting them when He left. Jesus promised the Spirit. Um, in John 14 is a verse I'd want to pull out of another gospel. John 14, verse 16, He told His disciples there in those... Um, those touching discourses that I will pray the Father and he shall give you another comfort that he may abide with you forever. Another example there of Jesus not abandoning his people, his, his, these men, these very human men who Peter especially had just denied him not long before. Uh, God was certainly growing Peter and he gives me uh, hope for myself that he. There is a lot God can do with with men who are less than what they should be. So chapter 2, we're to chapter 2 now, and that's 50 days later, uh, 50 days after the, the resurrection, the day of Pentecost, so there was like 10 days of waiting there after Jesus, um, I get my, my chronology right, there was 40 days from the Ascension to Pentecost, I believe, a total of 50 days, something like that. Uh, Don't quote me on that, but I believe that's true. Uh, But when the day of Pentecost had come, the day of Pentecost was a special day. Uh, I'll read these verses, but notice again the Spirit coming here. And this is the person of the Spirit and his action. And remember, Jesus sent his Spirit. To be a comforter, uh, the word in Spanish I've always liked it, consolador, which is a consoler. Comforter uh, means the same thing, really. So, chapter two, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Notice the unity there. And suddenly there came from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind; and it filled all the house where they were sitting, and there appeared unto them clothed in tongues like as a fire. And it set upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. There was an outpouring over all of them here, and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So notice here the disciples were waiting expectantly, prayerfully, joyfully, and unitedly. They were waiting for this coming. And here at Pentecost, there were three manifestations of the Spirit that came. There was the wind, there was the cloven tongues of fire, and the ability to communicate the mighty works of God in other languages. Uh, the, the gift of tongues is, is one that's all discussed in many quarters. Um, I won't go into much of that, but it seems very clear to me here this was a language thing. Uh, Perhaps there's some room for angelic language as well. But here we had many different um, language groups that were listening. And they heard. They heard what uh, Peter was saying in this, this sermon of his. And what did they hear? They heard him speak about the wonderful works of God. So that's one trait of the spirit. And this is loosely another um, principle of foundational truth, I believe. The, the Spirit does not self-promote. He always promotes the other members of the deity. He's not looking for glory for himself or, or, or just expressions that would uh, magnify himself in, his, in God's people. Even here in Acts where he's poured out freely on this group of people, it's the works of God that are spoken of. And I think Jesus' sacrifice probably was prominent there. I think the spirit-filled Peter was a changed man. Uh, this, this was one of his sermons, uh, prompted by accusations that his behavior or their behavior was caused by, by wine. This is in chapter 2, then continuing, uh, verse 16 and on. I was working on this sermon, and I was wondering what to put together to make a sermon. And I thought, well, I have five sermons of Peter's here. Maybe I'll just use excerpts. So here we have an excerpt of Peter's, depending how you count, maybe his third sermon here already in Acts. He was a changed man, wasn't he? So I'm going to read verses 16 through 41, and you just follow along. I'll try to read rapidly. He said, this is what, ha- this is what uh, was spoken of by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And all my servants and all my handmaidens I will pour out in those days my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heavens above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood before the great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Jews and Gentiles have equal opportunity under this new Spirit-filled covenant whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you. you see that Trinity working? God did by him in the midst of you, as you yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he shall behold another. And I would just point out here that that Peter pulled no punches. Uh, He was was just placing guilt on his fellow men, but I think also on himself as a group. They took Jesus by wicked hands and crucified and slew him. But we know, we know that it was a voluntary sacrifice on Jesus' part. And even with the Jewish responsibility and really the sins of humanity being responsible for Jesus' death, he voluntarily gave up his life. I'm going to move down here to... Verse 32, this Jesus hath God raised up wherever we all are witnesses, therefore being by the right hand of God exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this which ye see and hear. Verse 36, therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made the same Jesus whom ye crucified, both Lord and Christ. This was the bottom line, though the Jews had responsibility, the Gentiles do too, don't we? But God hath made the same Jesus who must crucify both Lord and Christ. And notice the the Spirit's work of conviction and repentance in their hearts then. When they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. That's a universal invitation to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And though humanity has the blame for his crucifixion because of our sin, because of the direct involvement there of of the, the folks that were responsible even up to Pilate, there was a purpose of God there, and this is foundational. There was a purpose of God in that sacrifice, atoning for mankind and making possible the salvation of to all that are far off, even as many as our Lord, our God, shall call. And there were added that day 3,000 souls. Okay, well that brings us to chapter 3 now. So you see that God has been working. The Spirit has been working. Jesus has been working. We have a clear uh, truth established that there's a change from the Old Testament law to this new covenant through Jesus Christ. We have the Spirit present in people's lives. He manifested himself in those extraordinary ways. But then also the third one I mentioned, the, the communication of, in tongues. Let's not get hung up on that. The Spirit wants us to communicate in, in clear ways with each other. And um, there are times that takes the gift of languages. Maybe God will at some point use an angelic language to communicate his glory from among his people. I'm open to that. But I think let's remember that we should use our tongues to communicate the the glorious works of God. Now to our story. Okay, there we go. So chapter 3. In this context, all this going on in the early days of the church, the Spirit has come, Peter, the Pentecost has happened, um, the church, they had 3,000 new members plus plus the 120 at least, so there were many people that were uh, very excited and interested and maybe even frightened because we know that the, this wasn't popular with the rulers, the religious leaders. But they were very open about everything they did. So here, Peter and John, they didn't have church houses. Peter and John were going to the temple to pray. They spent a lot of time praying, didn't they? So they went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, prayer, being the ninth hour, three o'clock in the afternoon. I don't understand this whole story. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried. Why were they carrying a the lame man at three in the afternoon? It looks like you'd want to get in there early before the rush, before people started coming to the temple. Maybe while they still had money, and uh, you know, wouldn't you want to be the first beggar uh, in the row? Uh, so why were they carrying him three in the afternoon? I don't know. Maybe it was maybe it was a shade issue. I didn't research this, but for some reason, he was being carried at three in the afternoon. Divine coincidence when Peter and John were coming up to pray. Now, he had been lame from his mother's womb. Uh, and We're told, I think it's mentioned in the next chapter or so, that that was 40 years before when he was born. So he's been lame a long time. They laid him daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask for alms of them that entered into the temple. Who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple asked an alms. He asked for money. I can almost hear the Guatemalan beggar saying, Give me len would you give me a nickel? They probably asked for quarters now with inflation. But he was asking alms of people that came by. You learn when you're a beggar not to be shy. You will get nothing if you just sit there and hunker your head and and don't speak up. Remember the blind man, uh, Bartimaeus, how he was crying out? He got Jesus' attention. Beggars do better when they're vocal. So he was watching and saw these two men. I don't know what it was about Peter and John, or maybe he just asked of everyone. Uh, He was going to ask them for an alms, for some fechas, for some money, some coins. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him, with John, they both stopped and they turned and looked at this man and said, Look on us, and he gave heed unto them, you would if you were hoping for money. He was expecting to receive something from them, something like this. Let me actually take this out of the bag because i searched in my collection and found some gold dollar coins. And there's some silver quarters too, but that's not all the silver and gold I've got this morning. Uh, so he says, look at me. Look at us, Peter did. Peter's vocal, isn't it? And the beggar fixed his attention on them, expecting maybe even for a, a bonus. Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Now think about that just a little bit. Especially your children who like to go shopping, who like to go to your grandpa's store and buy candy or somewhere else and get interesting things. Or maybe us older folks who like to look at Bass Pro Shops catalogs or maybe Kohl's or somewhere else for you ladies, Walmart. Which would you rather have? We're living in a a very blessed country. Um, Few of us go hungry ever. Most of us have resources and ways to pay our bills and and beyond. But if you could choose, if you had to choose, would it be better to have silver or gold or Jesus? And I think we know. But this beggar didn't know yet, did he? Who was Jesus? Who was Jesus of Nazareth? Maybe he did know. And I don't know why Peter said he didn't have silver and gold. Maybe he wasn't carrying silver and gold at that point. Um, they had resources. God cared for their needs. In the early church, they donated to each other, and, and they shared their silver and gold. I'm sure he told the truth, though. And right at this moment, the fact is that what he had to give this beggar was much more valuable than silver and gold. And he used the name of Jesus and commanded him to rise up and walk. Then he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. I wonder if John got the left. I'm not sure. But he lifted him up. Peter started lifting. John started lifting. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. It made his day, didn't it? And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they knew that it was he which had set for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. And as the lame man which was healed held Peter and John, he's still hanging on. looks like all the people ran together unto them in the porch. that is called Solomon's, greatly wondering. This was amazing. Forty years of cripple, and to have without therapy, to without occupational therapy, uh, learn, relearning the nerves, the, the balance, all those important things that help us walk, This guy is leaping and walking, and it is amazing. Everyone is amazed, and they run together just in time for Peter to deliver another sermon. This time it's on Jesus and how belief in his name was the cause for the healing. I like what he said there. He said, You men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Or why look ye so earnestly on us? As though by our own power or holiness we had made this man to walk. The God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified his son Jesus, whom ye delivered up. He's reminding them again in the presence of Pilate when Pilate was determined to let him go. But ye denied the Holy One the just and desired a murder to be granted unto you and killed the prince of life whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. And his name, through faith in his name, hath made this man strong, whom ye see and know. Yea, the faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. And then he kindly says, And now, brethren, I want that through ignorance ye did it, as did also your rulers. But those things which God before it showed by the mouth of his prophets that Christ should suffer, he has so fulfilled. And listen to this. Repent ye therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. I like that verse. Times of refreshing are available from the presence of the Lord. Foundational truths and healing power in the name of Jesus. In verse... Twenty five, Peter said to these gathered people, You are the children of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying unto Abraham, And in thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. Unto you first, God, having raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you, in turning every one of you away from his iniquities. So God did work through Israel. God did reach out to them. Israel was blessed in the Old Testament. Even now, in this time of transition, God reached out to them first, sending Jesus to them. They had the opportunity. All through the book of Acts, it talks about to the Jew first and then to the Gentiles. When they travel, when Paul traveled, he went to synagogues first, and then if they didn't hear, he would go to the Gentiles. So God reached out to His own, the old olive tree first, but He grafted in the new freely, and reached out to all humanity, offering salvation in times of refreshing. Israel was to be a blessing to the nations, and in their humanity, they failed at that. But in Jesus, the promise is fulfilled. I want to reach forward yet for one more verse in Peter's fifth sermon. Um, Peter did not waste opportunities. He preached when the people came to the temple to see what had happened to the beggar. He preached when they called him before the Sanhedrin. Different opportunities, he used them every time because he was filled with the Spirit. Um, this is, I think, perhaps the most foundational of all these truths that I'm talking about or thinking about this morning. He said, If we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man by what means he has made whole... Be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand before you whole. This is the stone which was set of naught by you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. And beholding the man which was healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. This is what I want to leave us with. We have been taught truth. The Old Testament has been superseded by the New Covenant in Jesus Christ. The Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost is clearly seen interacting in distinct roles in the formation of the church. There's no other name given among men than Jesus that men can find salvation in. So let's hold these truths high with correct doctrine and theology, but let's remember the lesson of the healed layman that the power of the gospel the witness of the gospel works out in very practical ways in ordinary life among ordinary people the gospel the power of the gospel is certainly able to heal bones and health but it also gives grace for chronic suffering healing for broken relationships, bruised emotions, personal struggles and addictions, and giving us strength to do the hard things that we must do. That's where the power of the gospel is in everyday life. And it gives us joy. We find few other displays of joy in scripture more dramatic than the leaping and praising God beggar, that uh, was healed there at the temple, and if we could ask him, I think he would certainly tell us that what he got that day was a lot better than silver and gold.